Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. My guest today is Michelle Ward. These days, Michelle, the When I Grow Up coach, is a business and career coach for creative women. Full disclosure, she's my coach. But her passion from a very young age was musical theater. She graduated from NYU's Tisch School and sought her fortune on the Broadway stage. In the process, she discovered that school was one thing, but a career and an income was something else entirely. We talk about her experience in New York, the blessings and curses of being unique, and the temptation to remake yourself to fit someone else's needs or expectations, how she made the switch from acting to coaching, and how coaching fills her up without being on stage. Here's my conversation with Michelle Ward. Michelle, thank you so much for talking to me today. I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, well, thank you, Nancy, for asking me. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so, like, you have such a really interesting creative history. That's and, true. yeah, and so <laughs> I'm wondering, like, you know, when did you decide that you wanted to do acting and singing and stuff like that? I mean, were you, like, a wee little squirt? I was a wee little squirt. I mean, I don't remember the exact moment I went like, this is what I want to do for my life. Um, I don't remember that kind of epiphany. But what I remember is I did my very first show when I was six in first grade. I did Snow White at the local Y. Oh, cool. I was a bunny rabbit with my, with my <laughs> friend Wendy. And um, I remember I had one line. And the only way I knew it was time to say my line was when the whole stage got quiet for more time than they should have. And then I knew that was my life. Ah. I, I distinctly remember that. Um, <laughs> and then it, just theater was something I kept doing. And I do remember, um, this is going to sound so egotistical, but I'll say it anyway. I remember the moment I realized I, I had stage presence. Like, like I was in, I was taking a class when I was maybe in like sixth grade, fifth grade. And I was taking an acting class and we had our showcase. And I was like, Oh, I think I've st- I I think I just got something. Like I think I figured it out or I got something. And I think that was the point where I was like, "Oh, okay. I like this and I feel like I know what I'm doing." And that's when I started doing comedic roles and once I started doing comedic roles and like that was that was it. Like it has been it was written that that's what I wanted to do. That's cool. What did your parents think when you said, "Hey, I want to go be an actress?" <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's really interesting, and I give them so many props because I do not come from this family, despite the fact that my father's first cousin um, was Patsy on Happy Days. I don't know him. Wow. Um, I don't know him. We had no relationship, but he's my he's my dad's first cousin. Um, I do not come from a show business family or even a very creative family, um, and so this was very out of the norm for everybody. Um, my parents were very supportive while well, I think also being very worried. Um, mm-hmm. but they kept their worry, worriedness, if that's a word, more on the inside. And I remember when I remember my mom specifically saying, like, when I said I wanted to be an actor and I wanted to go to college for musical theater, 
she's saying something to the effect of like, that's a really hard life. And I wish that your life didn't have to be that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I got into accepted NYU early decision, my dad opened up the envelope by accident because we weren't expecting an answer for another month, but they sent it early. And me and my mom were at an interview for a different college. And I came home and there were balloons everywhere. And I looked at my mom and I was like, what's going on? It was some <laughs> random day. And I look at my mom and I was like, what's going on? She's like, I don't know. And my dad was in the living room and he had been obviously like emotional and crying. And he's like, you got into NYU and it's the Harvard of musical theater schools. And, and I found out and he's like, and you're going and we'll make it work. Um, and, and afterwards, they both admitted to me that they never thought I was getting in. Like never, <laughs> and not because of your talent, but because you're a middle-class white mm-hmm. Jewish girl from Long Island. Like I, they, so, um, there was that piece of them being very supportive and understanding, especially when it had no, they had no, I, no idea, no semblance of this at all. But also like, I think they would have been ha- happier if I wanted to do something a bit more traditional. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were great. So when they told you that they didn't think you'd get in, what did you think about yeah. that? Oh, I mean, it was like a, an immediate insult. It was just like, what do you mean? You don't think that I right. you don't think, and and they were like, no, no, it's not because of your talent. It's because we know there's just so many spots and we didn't think that. And I was like, okay. Um, they were though, I remember they like, wouldn't, they didn't want me to apply to any conservatories. Mm-hmm. They didn't want me to apply. They wanted me to go to college and get a more well-rounded education. Right. Um, instead of just going to Boston conservatory or CCM or, or one of those other, mm-hmm. you know, programs. So I remember that was kind of like a condition for college. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. I don't know. It didn't bother me. So that felt okay. Yeah, well, it's not like you were at, you know, Podunk U. No, yeah, so a million percent, <laughs> right, right. So the, or like, it wasn't like they said to me, well, if you want us to help you with college, then like, you need to be an accountant. Like, that wasn't, right, it. Right. That wasn't it at all. Right, So, So how was it when you got to school? Was it like you expected it to be? Yes and no. I mean, it's interesting because when I went to high school, my junior and senior years, I went to a half-day performing and creative arts school Ah. for musical theater. And so my junior and senior years, I spent my mornings at my regular high school with my normal academics and then my afternoons at this fame school, which anyone who is our age knows what I'm talking about. And it was like (laughs) exactly like the fame school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'd go back to my school for, you know, chorus practice and, you know, show rehearsals and whatever. Um, And so I think I already got that sense of like what it's like in that school setting. Um, But, you know, it was, it was interesting because when I got to NYU, I had four roommates. So we had a suite and I had four roommates. And by the end of the first year, the three who were not in the acting program left and transferred out. And I think, Oh, wow. And it was just interesting. And I think that, they found it very hard to find their group of friends and have that social life. And um, you have to really want to be in the city. And I think that being in that program, there were 60 people in your grade. And then you had a a class you kind of stuck with through all of your... um, you were put in one dance placement, but then all your other classes was with, with like one group of, you know, 20 kids or 15 kids. Um, 
so you kind of had this built in because the class was so small, everyone really got to know each other um, really well. And so, you know, it's just like every kind of theater experience, but the, you know, the, the teachers range from, I don't like this teacher at all. They're terrible to like, I revere this teacher and they tell me everything I do. Um, there definitely wasn't marketing courses and like the business of show business, like was not there, but, but, but creatively, um, it, it was absolutely what I was looking for for the most part with some grievances. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are always some of those, right? <laughs> always, never, right? Never always, always. But it's interesting what you say about how the other three didn't manage to kind of find their crowd. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I'm just thinking how it seems like artistic stuff somehow like draws people to mm. each other that, that just gel. You know, like my college choir was basically my, yeah, well, not sorority because yeah. it was a mixed choir, but right. still, you know, I mean, that was like my primary social group was the people yeah. in the choir to varying degrees at varying times. But still it was like, that was, that was the thing that kind of anchored my life right. in right. a way that my classes and my hallmates and people like that didn't, didn't do. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, is it, I'm literally thinking out loud here. Like, is it just that we've all got that, that common interest because you can have, you know, a hall full of engineers and I don't know. Well, actually with engineers, maybe because they'll like build stuff and break it. Yeah. Right. Right. But you know, it's, I, I feel like there's something, something more with something like that where you're all working on the same project at the same time. And it's not like, you know, we have to get up and do a presentation for every class, you know, it's like we're creating this work of art together. And that means we're all sharing this experience. And even though everybody's experience is slightly different from everybody else, it's still the same enough. I don't know, but I really thought about what makes that happen before. I love that. That's really interesting. I think, I mean, the thing that comes up for me is the vulnerability piece Mm -hmm. where when you're doing something creative in front of other people, chances are at some point, the beginning, the middle, the end, all of it, you are looking stupid. You are crying. You are expressing something personal. Um, And obviously, you know, acting through the lens of acting, I'm sure painters have different experiences, Mm -hmm. but if you're in a painting class with a group of people, obviously whatever you're putting on the canvas and you're talking to the teacher, like that's, that's a piece of, that's a piece of you if if you're doing it well and doing it right and putting those walls down. So I think that um, it's very easy in something like a choir or a theater class or that sort of, or I would think um, an author group or a writer's group um, when you know, you're attached, personally attached to what mm-hmm. you're working on and disclosing certain things about yourself and kind of being forced to work together. Right. Um, I mean, especially with acting, it becomes easy, even in that room full of engineers, if they don't have something that they could build and work on together, it's harder. You have to actively strike up a conversation, talk to right. people, introduce yourself. Whereas if you're a theater major, you can sit there and within 10 minutes, you're going to be doing mirroring exercises with someone and making weird mm-hmm. faces and be like, hi, or kissing them or whatever, you know, whatever. And you're like, I don't remember your name. Vulnerability. Totally. I don't know you at all. I don't know what your name is, but nice to meet. <laughs> 
that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm also thinking like when you're, when you're in a theater group, you've, everybody's got their own role. Yeah. Whereas when you're in a choir, each part has its own note. But you're yeah. still, you know, if any of those things is missing, you don't have the whole result, which is also true oh. in theater. But somehow it's like with a choir, somehow you have to all come together and and be the same thing somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, even, even I'm thinking like in a band, it's it's sort of that way, but it's not. I'm not sure it's quite. Mm-hmm. quite the same I'm probably mm-hmm. thinking about this way too much now it's gonna be interesting my- I feel like we'll be like emailing in a week and be like, <laughs> I'm thinking about this more and like here's also the other thing and it's weird with choirs and like especially acapella groups oh like my anyone God. I've known that's in an acapella group like that is the that is the social like so yeah. I mean and I don't know why I don't know why I talk, talk to someone in an acapella group they can probably explain it better than I can but I'm always like why is it why why is this now like yeah. The only group of friends. <laughs> and yet, you know, I, I just talked to Bill Payne about a week ago. He's my, my college choir director. And I Ooh. said to him, you know, I feel like you were auditioning us for personality as much as for mm-hmm. how we could sing because we all did have the same kind of crazy, goofy way of looking at things. Yeah. But it's, and, and I think that's got to be part of it. Yeah. But there's also that sense. I, I also talked to him about this, which is why it's fresh in my head of, you know, if somebody was out of tune, yeah. And he would stand there and he would say, fix it, or I'm going to make every one of you sing this note individually, uh, yeah. which literally like put the fear of God into right, you. So right, I was right. like, I am going to tune the living hell right, out of this right, right. because I don't want to have to sing it myself. Right. But it, I think that, that it does like, I mean, there, there are books and studies and things about how, like when you sing in a choir, your heartbeats sink and stuff like that. Oh, wow. so, so I'll bet there's something wild and interesting to all that, that. Super. Get off on a tangent on for the next half hour. If we yeah, exactly right. <laughs> let me know when you find it. We'll come on I back. I'll let you know. We'll I'll have to go look. But, <laughs> but it is interesting because I feel like things like that do bring people together in ways totally. that, you know, I mean, yeah, you can, you can go find a cause and you can be really passionate about it, but I'm still not quite sure it's quite, it's quite the same thing. I think it can be similar, but I don't think it's exactly the same vibe. Yeah. It's also probably the intense timelines too. Um, where, you know, when you're, you're putting a show together, whether it's a choir, you're, you're an actor or a band member or whatever, like, you know, okay, I am here three times a week, uh, for six weeks. And then that last week I'm here every night for four hours. Like you can't help, but be in it with other people and get to know them. Um, I once did a show called Plain and Fancy, which is a musical about Amish people. It Mm -hmm. is three and a half hours long. Um, and man, like the cast had so much fun because we would be off stage so often. Uh, and the musical was so tedious that like, and then you just bond <laughs> over that of just, okay, I now have an hour until my next yeah. song. Like, Want to go play cards or goof off in the wings or go get a Slurpee. In our right. Office. Right. Cause you've got plenty of time, yeah, right. <laughs> which is so surreal. It's like, there's this show going on, but you can just leave that world and yeah. run to the Wawa. And yeah, totally. Run back and, totally. Yeah. totally. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how was it for you when you, you know, started to realize that this might not actually work out as a whole career aspiration thing? Yeah. It was pretty terrible. Um, I describe it as feeling like I lost my, my right arm and my best friend at once. It mm-hmm. was like, very much this part of me. And obviously it was this huge identity shift. It was like, if I don't do this 
who am I? And if I yeah. don't do this, then what do I do? I mean, there was obviously this, um, on top of the existential piece, there was this logical piece of like, but what if I don't go get backstage every Thursday at the newsstand because hashtag old, um, <laughs> pre-internet, um, you know, then what, what am I going to do on Thursdays or like what I don't understand, you know, there's just this like rhythm and routine and thing that you got into. And, um, what do I do with my time and what do I do with myself and what else could I do as a career that won't be terrible? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, and there's also, I think when you are, when you want to succeed professionally in a creative field, there's very much that outside piece of like, everyone told me it'd be hard. Everyone expected me to fail. Right. Now I'm going to admit that I fail. Like now I'm a failure. And so yeah. trying to reconcile that piece of um, feeling like, no, 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 I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I'm not a failure. And I'm not, and I'm someone that sticks with something and blah, blah, blah. And so, so it took me probably about a year to listen to that very small voice in the back of my head being like, you don't want to do this for work. You don't want to do this for work. Um, and it was, it was extra hard because I love performing, but the, the business of show business was killing me and the, and the very specific, um, rejections that I was, that I had, um, right before I made that decision, I was just like, okay, I don't want to put myself through this anymore. And I, and I need to, and I need to figure this out. Yeah. So how did you deal with the whole idea that everybody's going to think I'm a failure or that I think I'm a failure? Um, you know, it's interesting because a few years prior, like probably right after I graduated college, I remember my mom picking me up from the train because I lived in the city and she lived down on Long Island. And I didn't say anything to her. I remember I didn't like say to her, I'm thinking I'm not doing this. And it was a few years before I even like decided to, um, but I was having a really hard time and I was really struggling and doubting myself with all the acting stuff. And my mother, apropos of nothing, just turned to me and said, you know, no one will be disappointed in you if you decide you don't want to do this anymore. And I think I just carried that with me. Um, and uh, I don't think that it tripped me up. Like, I don't think it was the biggest thing that I was trying to, to get through, but it certainly was like more of an embarrassment sort of piece of like, yeah, I'm going to mm -hmm. not do this anymore. But I don't know. I think because too, um, I didn't, at that point, once I finally like made that decision, mm -hmm. I had already had a few day jobs that felt like more than day jobs. Like I was doing real estate in New York mm -hmm. and most of my friends were not in that acting world so much anymore. So it didn't feel, I think, as terrible <laughs> as yeah. if like that, like, you know, my main social group was, oh, let's go out on, on, you know, on Thursdays and talk about our auditions and whatever. And I couldn't participate in that anymore. So I think that was probably like a good thing on top of it, that it didn't mm -hmm. feel like anyone was gonna, I was gonna ma be made to feel badly about it. Yeah. So you kind of already made half of a transition anyway, by the a time. A million percent. Yeah. By the time I really admitted it, like, okay, you've been getting backstage and putting auditions in your file of facts, hashtag old, um, <laughs> for 
<laughs> six months now without going on a single audition. Mm. But you've been, you know, I, I got my real estate license to do real estate to support the acting stuff. And yet I wasn't doing any shows. Right. Like, working in real estate, you got to work seven days a week. Like, so it was that, yeah, it was that sort of thing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know you've mentioned to me a couple times that that you were getting rejections along the lines of, you're great. We just don't know what to do with you. Yeah, that was the worst thing ever. Yeah. yeah and I'm wondering awful. like what you can say about that, because I think a lot of people know that feeling and don't really know yeah. what to do with it. Yeah. I don't know if you do or not, but since you've been there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know what good advice. Leave the business immediately. Um, <laughs> I think it was very, like, I almost feel like it would have been easier to just feel like I have no talent and no one wants to hire me and I should just pack it up because I'm not really very good. Like, I also wanted that experience, but to be told, like, there was this one, there was this one audition that I made it to the last round and it was a show that wound up playing off-Broadway for a very long time and um, it was exactly the right show for me, despite the fact that it wasn't a musical. Um, but it w- it was one of those like Tony and Tina's wedding type shows mm-hmm. where the, the actors that they were hiring to open the show were also going to like get co-writing credits. Like we were going to improvise the show together and write it. And I came back like three or four times and I got a phone call from the director. And so I'm like, Oh, I got this. I got it. The director's calling me. Right. Sweet. Anyone that's in this world knows, like the director's not calling you unless they're offering right. you. Right. And he was very nice. He's now a huge producer and produces Broadway and has his own theater. And he was very, very nice and and said, like, I wanted to call to tell you what an amazing job you did. And you're so unique and you're so different and you make such different choices that I don't know what to do with you. And I don't have a spot for you. And I remember saying to him, I could be less unique and different. I could be less. And I got frustrated because I felt like they didn't test me in that way in the audition. Like they didn't ask me, can you tone this back? Right. Right. These sorts of choices. Like they didn't give me the opportunity to do that. Um, And so that was just particularly awful because that was like, well, here's all of my training and here's me making the impression and making the choices that are different from other people's choices that are obviously working. Otherwise I wouldn't have made it till the very end, but right. It's very, you know, I had a casting director who I auditioned for a million times for like every, you know, musical theater tour in the world. And I remember the very last time I auditioned for him, I went in after not auditioning for him in a while. And he's like, Oh, I remember you and blah, blah, blah. And he had a new associate there. And he's like, Oh, she's amazing. And it was, it was for Oklahoma. And he's like, she would be an amazing Ado Annie, like go sing Ado Annie for us. And I sang it and he like clapped at the end. And he said to to his assistant, he's like, see, amazing. Perfect. And he's like, you know, it's too bad. Like Ado Annie's been cast. We always have our Ado Annie cast. And he goes, but I have, I'm going to think of a role for you. And like, I'm going to, I'm going to come to you with a role for you. I just need to figure out what it is. And you're like, okay. Like it just makes you feel like there's no place for you. And I think that if it was, I don't know. I mean, if I was going through that now, I think that I probably would have embraced more of like, let's write and do my own material Mm -hmm. and create my own roles for myself. Um, 
which is kind of what I wound up doing as a quote unquote grown up once I left that world right. a little bit. Um, but in the age of YouTube and whatever, like we didn't have that. So that's not really what actors did. And, and I hate that, you know, you're just at the mercy of someone else's right. w- vision or lack of vision. Or, I mean, at, at one point I was just going to buy a, a blonde wig for a bunch of my <laughs> auditions. Cause I feel like they weren't giving me eight Annie cause my hair wasn't blonde, like that right. sort of thing. Um, I don't know. It's really, really, really hard. I don't know what to say other than like, you have to do what you can to not take it personally. That's really difficult. Um, I train my mother who is uh, a very stereotypical Jewish mother who like, you know, calls me at the end of the day and remembers every single thing that I did that day. And she would say four days later, do you ever hear back from that audition? Cause she was being a wonderful mother mm-hmm. and being involved in my life. And I'd be like, and I had to have to train her. You could ask me about the audition the day it happened, but then you can never mention it again unless I mention it. Like, I had to train myself right. to leave it in the room and forget it. And um, right. I don't know. So maybe my advice is like, if you're hearing that, like take matters into your own hands. Don't be afraid to like make your own parts, figure out your own show or do the show that you really want to do and and then cast around it and put it up yourself. Like mm-hmm. do what you want to be doing yeah. without anyone else you know, say, okay, I'm now allowing you to do this part or whatever. Right. And and I feel like it goes beyond acting too. I feel like, you mm-hmm. know, anywhere in life, it's, it's sort of the same thing. Like, oh, you're great and you're wonderful, but not quite what we had in mind. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, I, I'm like, your, your words from a couple of minutes ago are still echoing in my head. You know, I can be less unique. Right. <laughs> right. Because you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, wow, how, how many times do we do that? How many times right. do we say in trying to get something that we want or want to do or whatever. Oh, I can, I can be less unique. I can be less me. I can, I can myself into whatever it is that you want me to be. Right. And then what does that do to you? Right. You know? Right. Right. And I, and I think, um, you know, what happened at NYU is that they did not have the (sighs) marketing person that I hope they have now. Mm. Um, that could help the actors because I was, I was taught like you go in, you sing the pretty song, you wear, you know, clothes that don't distract from your face. And like, they definitely taught me to blend in with all of the hundreds of 20 something year old girls that were at every single open call audition that I could go on. Right. And it took me a few years to go, Oh, but wait a second. I'm not the ingenue. I don't get cast as the girl who sings the pretty song and stands there in the mm-hmm. bland dress. I get cast as the character actress. I get right. cast as the best friend. I get cast because I sing really freaking loud. And I'm <laughs> And like, I'm not doing myself any favors by kind of burying the lead. And so I think what probably made it a harder experience for me was that at the time I was hearing all of this feedback actually, in a way, it was positive feedback because I kept getting so far in processes that I used to not, mm-hmm. um, that I was doing a really good job. Like I got new headshots and it was when color headshots were first happening. And people said the same thing. You need to wear neutral clothing and you need to neutral mm-hmm. background. I'm like, no, could, could I have this turquoise background behind me? And I bought a dress with polka dots, all like big, bright polka dots. Like this dress I'm wearing, this is the background. Like this is who I am. And I would go into auditions, almost every audition, I had this strapless 
A-line dress, like kind of fifties with a matching headband that looked like candy dots, that Mm -hmm. like just a white dress with those candy dots. And when I wore that dress and came into the room, I, I noticed the room change and they would like really look at my resume and really pay attention to me a lot more than when I was just, hi, I'm going to sing this song and whatever. And so, um, it was a very positive change all around, but I think the rejection hurt even more because I felt like, well, this is who I am. And I put all of it. I'm talking about the vulnerability, like this is who I am. I put all of it out there and I'm still getting rejected in this way. And there isn't like, what is even, and I, and I would get told a lot as a 24 year old, like you're gonna have some great career when you're 40. And when I was 24, I was playing 16, 17, 18. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what am I going to look like? I'm 40 when I'm 50. Like, and that's just the word, like very awful. Yeah. It's kind of like, that's great, but that doesn't pay my rent now. Yeah. A million percent. A million percent. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. But yeah, I I feel like, I, I mean, the reaction when you walk in the room as you, Mm-hmm. you know, as opposed okay. to, I am just another Stepford child <laughs> is it's so telling, right? right. I mean, because right. you do get noticed, you make an impression, it's, right. you know, it's you being you and, and nobody else is going to be you. Everybody right. else can be the Barbie doll. Totally. But nobody else can be you. Right. And, right. and yet, you know, I'm thinking in a, a way wider sense now, you know, I mean, you, you look at models on the runway, you look at stuff that's in magazines or ads on TV or whatever, and it's all saying, be the Barbie doll. Well, yeah. I mean, a million percent. I feel like we're um, evolving a, a bit more, like seeing from a, a big distance, like what's happening with the pride movement and in high school right. and these kids. And like, you could have bright green hair now and still be the the most popular kid in school and not be like a burnout or a mm-hmm. or a you know goth or a weirdo or whatever like back like what you know so i feel like hopefully we're making those sorts of changes now but like yeah i mean a hundred a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah i'm i'm just Really, I think this is why I do this podcast, right? Right, right. Go do your thing and and you don't tell people I can be less unique. Right. Be what you want me to be. You know, I need to be Uh, me. I need to be who I am and do my weird, crazy thing in my own weird, crazy way. And, you know, if nothing else, I'm going to feel better in that polka dot dress on the trip than I will otherwise. And that's worth something. Yes. Uh, totally. And I think it took me a very long time to, to figure out the lesson in my acting days that like, you're not, you shouldn't go into that room and try to give the casting director, the director, whoever's on the other side of the table, what you think they want. You just give them who you are and what you could do and have them ask you for them other things or different things or tell you what they want. Um, and that took me a really long time. Cause I think that you know, when you're in this position of like, there is a gatekeeper you have to get through. Mm-hmm. You want to give them what you think they want. Right. And you have to just put that aside and say, you know what, I'm going to go in and I'm going to give you the best me that I could give you. And like, that's it. And what wound up happening once I made that transition that before and after transition was that 
I'd go to auditions and I wouldn't get a call back and I wouldn't hear anything. And then six months later, I'd get a call from like that theater. And they said, I, we remembered you from this audition and you weren't right for this, but we're doing this now. Can you come back in? And like, that was the kind of stuff that didn't happen to me before because I was going into the room and giving them what I thought they wanted, right? you know, as opposed to just kind of giving them an introduction into this is who I am. This is what I could do. You know, you want this yes or no circle one or not now, or maybe later or whatever. Right. Um, and that's always a good thing to do, even though it could feel hard when you spent all day sitting in a waiting room. Like, yeah. Well, and, and I'm, I'm thinking too, of like every job interview I've ever been on. Mm-hmm. Right. Because uh-huh. you read all the articles that say, this is what employers want and here's how you should answer these questions and whatever. And it always, it feels so fake. Right. You know, oh, I, I mean, every, every job that I've ever had that was a terrible fit that made me miserable yeah. is a job where I tried to do that, you know, where right. I was like, excuse right. me, let my, let me squeeze myself into the little box that I'm told is what you want. And oh, look, I did it successfully, but now I'm stuck in this box forever. The, the yes. article didn't me that part. Very didn't tell me that if I came to work here, I couldn't really be who I am. Right. That, you know, I have to be this thing that I wasn't really interested in, but I told you because I needed a job and I needed a paycheck. Yeah. And now I'm stuck here. They didn't tell me what to do when this part happens. Right, not, right. That's not what they're about. They're just going to help you get the job. Nobody, nobody talks about that part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what's so deadly. Oh, a million percent. And, and we, you know, I, I like the advice they give sometimes about job interviews that like, you have to remember you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. But it's very hard to remember that when you're the one going, yeah, I want this job. Yeah, I I hope I get it. I mean, unless unless you're like not in dire need of a new job, in which case I think you can really do something with that. But, and it was a very long time before I heard the whole, you're interviewing them too thing, Mm -hmm. which is the power piece of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to take that job. Mm -hmm. You know, you go in and you Uh think that they have all the power and, and it's going to screw you up. Whereas if you go in and remember that, Hey, this is my choice. I don't have to take this job. I have to make sure that you're really where I want to be, that you get where a match. Yeah. Then it's a totally different story, but nobody, nobody tells you that. Right. You know, it's all, you have to get a job because you have to pay your rent and you have to pay your bills and you know, you you can't live in mom's basement forever. And yes, all totally. of that. Right. So yeah, all the, all the pressure is backwards. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I, I agree. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of anti-boxes. Yeah. I'm with I'm you. Really anti-boxes. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. Although if it's, if you create the box, Oh, let's just really go off on a tangent here. And like, <laughs> but like, right. if you create, like I was happy to put myself in the box for the purpose of being an actor to be like, hi, my box is funny character actress that sings loud. Okay, here I am. Like, because I knew that being in that box would make it easier to be cast. Right. And there, there are good boxes. If you, if, if you're picking the box and it, uh-huh. the box fits you, then that's one thing. It's the boxes that you have to squeeze yourself into because they're too small or, you know, a million percent oversized right. or whatever right. that, yeah. that are the problem. Yes, totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So, so you got out of all of that and you actually, this is such a good segue. You actually yeah. help people make their own boxes now. I know. It's so funny. And, and I'm wondering like when, when you made the decision that you wanted to help other people figure out what to do with their lives, Yeah. how did, how did that segue for you from 
yeah. acting into, I mean, I know you had like an in-between period, yeah. but like, yeah. how does it, how does it like meet the same creative needs for you that, that acting did or doesn't it? Maybe it's all different. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a different value or priority system or, um, but in a way, in a way it's not, here's how they, how, here's how they connect. Um, I don't want to say that as the one I grow up coach, I'm playing Which, a part. Full disclosure, Michelle is my coach. Yay! <laughs> um, as the one I grow up coach, I'm not saying like, I'm playing a part and it's not me and whatever, because it very much obviously is in right. all the ways. But there is a like, I call it my release and my relief. Like when I, let's, let's just talk about cancer. Let's just go there. So, so when, when I'm a two-time boot cancer survivor and I knew that when I got my diagnosis, my diagnoses, if I stopped coaching, it would have been like, oh my gosh, the mm-hmm. like, and obviously it's the worst thing ever. Let's say it, it was the worst thing ever. It was the worst thing ever, no matter right. what. But sure. when I was first diagnosed in, in 2011, um, and I thought, okay, well, I need to stop my coaching sessions because I'm not going to know how I'm going to feel and how could I show up for my clients. Everything felt that much worse mm-hmm. because when I'm with my clients in their sessions, I'm fully in my sessions with my clients. And right. I don't think about my own problems and issues and whatever and some dinner and whatever. And it's a very, I feel like similar frame of mind than as when you're acting and you're able to kind of step out of your own problems and, and issues and challenges and really kind of put your focus on someone else on something else. Um, so in that way, it felt similar. Um, and there is, there is a different energy I think I have when I'm working and with my clients and talking to you and doing stuff like this, that I'm not, I'm not usually like the energetic, uh, overly optimistic person in like my quote unquote real life, like I am in my business, but that's all still me. That's all like still very much who I am. It's not a mask that I'm putting on. Like I'm naturally more energetic and optimistic when I'm doing my work and I'm doing this stuff than I am like when I'm putting my kids to sleep. Um, so that's, I don't know, kind of interesting, but, um, really I knew when I was leaving acting and I wanted to find a career, um, that I was gonna potentially be as passionate about, even though I I wasn't as optimistic back then. And I never thought it would happen. Um, I figured out what was important to me and what I was good at and what I liked doing. So to me, it was all about relationship building and it was all about my communication skills. Um, and so I thought about being like a matchmaker mm-hmm. um, or a relationship coach or something in communications. I thought about therapy and social work. Um, but w- I mean, what I really wound up doing was becoming the coach that I needed at the time and I couldn't find. Mm-hmm. So I try, I, I went to two sessions that my mom gifted me with a, with a, I think she was actually a social worker who wound up specializing in you know, career transitions for creative people. And, um, I was so excited because I was like, Oh my God, someone who gets me, she's going to help me figure out what am I going to do? Blah, 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 blah. And like out of nowhere in our second session towards the end, she's like, did you ever think about getting a nose job? Because maybe if you have a nose job, you'll, you'll be able to book more acting work. And I was like, yeah. 
And I was like, I, as a Jewish girl from Long Island, I surprisingly have no issues with my nose. Um, <laughs> so like, thanks for the insult. I don't know where that came from. And I'm not here to try to get more acting work. I'm here to try. So it was yeah, extremely disheartening and upsetting. And I was like, okay, wow. I really, I became a When I Grow Up coach because I thought I was going to help actors who wanted to leave the business find the job that they could transition to that they would enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you asked me back in 2007, 2008, I'd be like, yeah, that's who I work with. And that's what I do. And I, I've worked with maybe one actor in the 11 years that I've been in business. Um, it was impossible for me to find actors who were at that point, you know, like find them when they're at their most, like, mm, maybe I want to leave and, right. and I had a full-time job. And I was trying to like get on blogs and because, you know, the internet was a thing by then. Right. Like blogging was like a new thing. Um, but actors weren't on like in social media groups and didn't have a, weren't reading, weren't reading the backstage blogs. And, um, it was, it was very strange. So I wound up, um, I wound up kind of doing the opposite, which, yay, thank you universe. This worked out even better. Like people who want to, get out of the less creative things they're doing and, and discover launch and build their dream businesses that really play into their creativity and the right hand side of their brain, whether it's like a quote unquote artistic business or not like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you don't have to be a, someone who wants to be a painter or an actor or whatever, but usually my clients feel like whatever they're doing now for work does not feed into their own strength and skill set, And the creativity is a really big piece of it. Um, and they're highly creative women and they're multi-passionate and they're super smart and they're very ambitious. And so, you know, they need those boxes to be, <laughs> to yeah. be checked. And when, and when they're not, they're like, okay, what can I do that'll make check those boxes? And so now I'm helping these women live their lives with more creativity and big ideas and um, fulfillment and all that good stuff than they would otherwise. So that's, that's, I'm thankful of that every day. So that's still, does it, does it check any of the same boxes that acting did for you? Oh, right. That was a question. Um, (laughs) I mean, it definitely, the the relationship building piece and the community piece Mm -hmm. um, for sure. Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm speaking, um, I'd love to do more speaking gigs as long as they don't take me away from my family too often. Um, I, I was, I've taught two classes on a platform called creative live. And for mm-hmm. anyone who's not familiar, it's a really interesting concept. Um, they have probably thousands of classes on demand at this point that you can purchase that are all creative or business focused. Um, but when the class is like, they have classes on live and then they record the classes and they sell them. Well, when the classes are on live, they're free and you can Mm -hmm. watch them in real time. And the first time I was on creative live, I think was 2013 and you're essentially in a television studio. Oh, wow. Um, there, it, there are two like television grade cameras on you 
they have a host that will introduce you and take you in and out of the breaks and feed you questions from people that are in a group chat. Um, you have a PowerPoint presentation that has like your your notes in front of you. So there's kind of a, a prompter thing going on. And then there's like a quote unquote live audience. You have students there. Um, for my first class, I think I had like 10 students or something like that. And for anyone else, I know it's like, you could be a wreck, be a wreck. Right. And like, mm-hmm. I think when I was on live, they would say, they would say like, Oh, 10,000 people like are on live. And, and wow. Oh my God. Like you can't even, that's huge. But I remember like the end of back then you had to do two and a half days worth of classes. It was very long. <laughs> um, by the end of day one, I was like, Oh, this makes sense with my life. I'm so comfortable happy to be, I was in my element. I was, you know, and I got very nice compliments Mm -hmm. from the crew. They were like, I don't think anyone is able to like do this, like be so comfortable on camera and have this report so quickly. I was like, yeah, I went to NYU for acting. I I got this. I I know. (laughs) Um, So that piece is very much, very, very much, even though I'm not necessarily acting. Right. Wow, I hadn't thought about that. I remember when you did those classes. Yeah, it really was like, oh, this was all of my things. Like that leads to this is my acting, this is my performance, this is my work as the one I grew up coach. Like, oh, okay. All all wrapped up in a in a little very long bow. Totally. (laughs) Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the end of the class, I remember I like cried when they cut. And I said to, you know, one of the producers, I was like, all instructors do this, right? When in the class is over and they're like, yeah, sure. But I think I was also tapping into like oh, wow. <laughs> my past life and my thing. It was like a very yeah. weird emotional poignant moment. Well, and did you have anyone actually, you know, doing the class in the same room with you or was it all broadcast? Uh, the live audience did the class with me and then would yeah, like- But they were like at home watching on their laptop rather than- 10 people were in the oh, studio doing the class with me and then everyone else was okay. home so and like doing chats and asking questions and stuff like that. It's always a little weird when you're, you know, you can't see the people you're talking to. So I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Thankfully it was like, I had people there, but that was almost sometimes harder because you'd have to balance the hosts kind of jumping in right. you know, or something being prepared and like asking questions and then dealing with the person, you know, oh, on the left who has a question and that, you know, so it was interesting. That would be interesting. That's a lot yeah. of things to try to juggle in your head all at the same time. Yeah. And not much prep. Like you're there the day before the class and they kind of walk you through things. And, but like, you don't have any, any other, anything else other than so that. So you're really flying by the seat of your pants. Oh, yeah. 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 But that can be a good thing too. Oh, totally. And there was that kind of adrenaline and stuff like that, you know, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I never really thought about how much it would take to do one of those, but it's it's pretty daunting. Yeah. 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 And I, and I laughed because at that point they were, you know, fairly new and um, they, you know, would bring on a lot of like internet gurus, quote unquote. And, I would say to them, like, you know, someone could be a really amazing blogger, but probably not be able to do it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. But like, they don't, they don't test. They didn't have me like 
send them videos of me speaking or anything like that. I was just able to pitch the the class through a contact and they're like, great, we're interested in this class. They had no idea how I was. Oh, wow. That is... That is being really new and yeah, and brave yeah. on their part yeah, too. Totally. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. So, so since since courage has come up, what do you what yeah. do you think about courage? What have you learned about courage? Because <laughs> uh, I think you know, having done what you did, yeah. especially as a kid and in college and everything, yeah. I mean that that takes a lot of courage to go yeah. and, and try to do the acting thing and then to transition into something else. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, you know, or stupidity. I don't know one or the other. There's a very I, fine line, I think, in between those two. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. Like, I don't know. Was I courageous to do all that? I think I was just, I was self-confident for better or for worse. Um, you know, my mother said that that was always like the thing she wanted to instill in her children was that they both felt high doses of self-confidence and I definitely mm-hmm. got that. So I think it was more like, okay, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to try this out. And I think the positive feedback that I got along the way when I was growing up, like to get into NYU um, for musical theater, early decision was like, oh, oh I might know. Yeah. Like I, this might happen. So I think that those sort of positive things kind of feed into that. Um I think you just, not to bring up cancer again, but I feel like, you know, sometimes courage is just sh- like dealing with the hand you're dealt. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get to make the choice and say, yes, I want that hand. And sometimes you do right, right. Um, So whether it's, you know, getting into your dream school or getting rejected for a part or getting cancer or starting a business or whatever, it's just, I think, whenever I've been able to, it's like, I'm making this choice. I know this is the hard choice, but I'm actively choosing it. Okay. What's coming up for me. And then I, and then you just keep kind of taking steps forward. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. Is that helpful? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that is pretty much what it boils down to. You have to just keep, keep going, Yeah, you know, and, and not, not give up though. Also not lose your sense of perspective as you're doing it. A million percent. And just try to remind yourself, well, this is my choice. Like mm-hmm. I was the one that chose to audition for the show. I was the one that chose to take, you know, 10 day jobs instead of being a quote unquote normal person. Like right. I chose to, you know, and, and it's hard and you have to deal with what comes back to you. Well, for sure. Definitely. I think that's a really good place to leave things. Yay, so let's do it. I know. I can't yeah. believe time just flew. I know it always does, but wow. thank you so much. Thank you. Really cool. Oh my really gosh. Fun. Me too. Same, 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 same. That's this week's episode. My gratitude to Michelle Ward and to you. Please do share this episode with a friend who would appreciate it. Thanks. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.